got wide musical tastes and did take up a bit of electric guitar and everything in my teens because obviously everyone goes through that phase and wanted to be a rock star and everything. That was more the image than actually really wanting to do it. It's also the space you, you enjoy things you're better at as well. So if I could you know I can crack something on the fiddle easier than doing a four chord wonder on the guitar, I kind of tend to lean that way anyway. I suppose it goes down to being quite self-confident and stuff as well, but you know, you, you see people who played instruments at school who were clearly embarrassed by it as well, who carry this their instrument around and kind of be trying to cover it. And then if you own what you do, then it doesn't matter, you know? So I didn't really think about it until later in life, about how the music links me to the country and the people on the big social scene there and everything. This week we interview our first musician, Glasgow-based, Irish-born, fiddle player, teacher and composer, Ron C. Leslie. Ron began playing when his mother joined him in learning to play the fiddle when he was age seven. He recounts the experience of growing up in the small village of Brashane, Northern Ireland, the role of his supportive parents in encouraging his sporting, musical and academic pursuits. We discuss growing up with English parents attending an integrated school in a country historically divided by its religious divide. Ron explains the draw of the fiddle and traditional music, how it defined his sense of identity, the influential role of his charismatic musical mentor on his journey and the abundant experience of building his musical network. Ron also describes his educational experiences, the differences across the traditional music spectrum, the global cultural influence of Irish music and his traditional music influencers. We discuss the resurgence of interest in traditional music, the impact of the pandemic on himself and other musicians and expanding his teaching by growing a global network of students. Ron describes creating his first album, Escaping the Dawn, during lockdown, releasing a book called Contemporary Fiddle Tunes from the northeast of Ireland and his hopes of returning to touring during 2021. We get into the evolution of traditional music, the differences in classical and traditional, the impact of AI and technology on music and the role of serendipity on his journey. Ron ends the interview by playing a short excerpt from one of his tracks from his new album. I hope you enjoy the insight into the world of traditional music with Ron C. Leslie. Right, Brown, welcome to the Impossible Network podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be you're our first musician, really, that we've, Indeed. we've had, a, had on the show. I feel very blessed yeah. <laughs> to, be, to, be, to, be, to be your first. So we have to give a, a shout out to the person that recommended you, Scott Duncan, uh, who is a meteorologist who said we should interview you next. So um, thank you to Scott. Indeed. It's always nice to, be, uh, nice to be thought of in any capacity. So thank you, Scott. Hopefully see you soon somewhere along the line. Before we jump into your, your life as a, a fiddle player, a musician, and we get into, uh, what, for people who don't know what fiddle is, we always like to start with childhood. And from what I understand, and the accent certainly, you were born in Northern Ireland, brought up and raised in County Antrim in a town called Brushane. So perhaps you could maybe just talk to us about growing up there. It must be been interesting times. The impact of your parental support and the journey you've taken into music. And, and maybe just so we'll get into a little bit more detail about your siblings and other influences. Yes, so I was brought up outside the village of Brashane. We were in the countryside there. Um, my mum and dad and my brother, who is two years older than me. So for a bit of context for your, for your listeners worldwide, so two miles outside Brashane, which is three miles from Balmina, which is the nearest big town, which is famous for um, being the hometown of Liam Neeson. And Balmina itself Everyone knows is Liam. Indeed, the big man, yeah, the big man yeah. himself, you know. And uh, so he's our local claim to fame. And then Balmina itself is about 30 miles from Belfast. With regards to getting into the music at the start, the village had a local fill organisation school that I was taken along to. I've got a brother called Eddie, and um, he's a couple years older than me, and he started in the, uh, the clarinet at school. And apparently I wanted to um, have something to do as well. And you know what, you know what siblings were like. And yeah. uh, so wanted to do something. I was drawn to the fiddle, and luckily the school was at the school was there as well. So my mum took me down to the local village one Saturday morning, and she also took it up at the same time, which is nice. Oh, so, so your was... parents? So your parents weren't musicians in the first? No, it's no, often um, the case. Yeah, no, yeah, that is quite a thing, especially if people claim big lineage of you know, especially in, in traditional music as well. Yeah. All, the whole family plays. My granddad did this and stuff, you know. Mm. But um, no, so my parents are not from Northern Ireland anyway, so didn't have the long-term roots there. So Where did they mom, come from? Uh, both my parents are from London originally, Okay. Uh, but my dad's been in Northern Ireland about 40, over 40 years, mum's been there for 30, so a long time, but so mum took me down to the to the local fiddle school and took it up as well. Apparently people like to do, to, to do things with their kids, so that was one thing that she mm-hmm. wanted to do, so that was good. And so we started learning together, and 
um, I suppose I excel slightly faster than her as children kind of do in these situations. So I suppose in that situation, it's um, good to have to be encouraged in something that if the parents have a bit of context as well. Uh-huh, you know, yeah. I mean, obviously, if they're encouraging me to do things, but in a general sense, as parents do, but then I actually have some knowledge of the instrument and stuff as well. I mean, I vaguely remember the first day of going down there. We met this woman called Pamela. And I'm not sure if mum's idea was actually to join at the same time. It was more like, do you want to do it as well? And then she was like, yeah, why not? And then that started off on this path. And um, yeah, so that, that I maybe, well, I was seven at the time. So my memory is my memory's not the sharpest at that time, but I do vaguely have some regulation of that. So what, what about the influence of your, your mother and father on you? I mean, who's, can you describe the sort of the different characteristics and their, their influence on you? They're both... Um, quite similar in their academic background themselves and so I suppose it place a fair amount of emphasis on my schooling and stuff which is good and um, I suppose with mum then doing the music with me that she was more involved in that side of my extracurricular activities and then my dad would be more involved in my my sporting prowess when it came to that as well so it's nice to have we both I had things in common with both of them but separately as well and then then overall invested in with my education and stuff. You must have been born around the time of the peace agreement in Northern Ireland so a very changing time in yes, the, the um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Northern Ireland's been through an awful lot over the years, and um, born to be the tail end of the, the heavy times. But then, I suppose, with the fact that my parents, well, they would have been there through it, but then not in the midst of it because not having family ties and the community yeah, ties and stuff to, makes a big difference, you know. And in that respect, it never really affected me because. Yeah, not inside that that world really. And mm-hmm. I was went to an integrated school, which is quite a novelty in Northern Ireland as well. Most schools yeah. are either Catholic or Protestant, so and that kind of obviously takes you off to one side or the other, whether you like it or not, to an extent. And um, so integrated school, mixture of all faiths and abilities and stuff, you know. And so therefore, I've got friends from both sides. And um, and also, my parents aren't aren't at all religious either, so mm-hmm. weren't going to any churches or anything, which would would put you more to the forefront of these things just inevitably sort of thing so yeah. it's an interesting sort of thing to reflect on because i've spent so much time in northern ireland and, mm-hmm. and working there and dated someone there as well and i've got friends both protestants and catholics and un- really understand the importance of identity particularly when families have many generations and the sort of the deep-seated mm-hmm. beliefs and passions to have parents that have come from London and growing up in an environment like that, what was your identity like? Did you feel Irish? And also the fact that you've gone into traditional music in itself is is interesting, given the, your own family heritage. Yeah, I've always seen myself as Irish. As when you're younger, you'd, I mean, you don't really think about these things at all. I guess you just you just exist as a kid, sort of thing. You know what I mean? Have you ever really challenged me? I suppose it's more as also as I've left Northern Ireland as well alongside the music and it, that is obviously very much part of me and it's part of my myself and also I suppose if you want to look at it from the other side it's part of my brand as well of promoting myself as like a contemporary yeah. Irish musician doing that sort of thing especially when I'm away and that makes more of an impact than being a contemporary musician in contemporary as well but yes I mean didn't give it too much thought. So I, I, when I first spoke to you um, before we got in this interview, you mentioned you were an active and ambitious rugby player. Because if with English parents, if you got to an international stage, that crisis would have come when you'd have to choose Ireland or England, and I that know, would have been I'm, a tough one. I'm sure they would have both been vying, um, yeah. begging me to play for them. Apart from the, the parental connection, I don't, I don't really have much connection to England. You mentioned the two things. You're seeing your brother playing clarinet and your mother taking you to fiddle. What was... I mean, you must have been sort of fairly curious as a, as a child to go into that something that it's not your traditional instrument. A lot of kids will go like want to play guitar, or maybe even piano, but fiddle. What was it, and where where did the curiosity come from? Yeah, I'm not sure. To be honest, it's um, I suppose I've always it's always been drawn to it in a in a in my core, you know, with these things because it's always obviously want to play, and I've actually I've got I still remember. There's a certain smell which the, which new fiddles have when you open a case and the mixture of the wood and stuff. When you and that smell's always stayed with me as that's what the kind of the start the start of all sort of thing, the kind of mixture of rosin and wood smell and stuff, you know. It's interesting that that's always been my focus because I've be I've got wide in my own time, I've got wide musical tastes and I've been big into listening to rock music and stuff and did take up a bit of electric guitar and everything in my teens because obviously everyone goes through that phase and want to be a rock star and everything, but it's more the um 
that was more the image than actually really wanting to do it. It's also the space you, you enjoy things you're better at as well. So if I could you know I'm, I can crack something on the fiddle easier than doing a four chord wonder on the guitar, you kind of tend to lean that way anyway. I suppose it goes down to being quite self-confident and stuff as well. But, you know, you, you see people who played instruments at school who are clearly embarrassed by it as well, who carry their instrument around and kind of be trying to cover it. And then people on the bus be like, oh, what's that? You know, yeah. and then, but if you own what you do, then it doesn't matter, you know. And mm-hmm. um, so I didn't, I didn't really think about it until later in life, about how the music links me to the country and the people and stuff as well and the big social scene there and everything. Because obviously once you're seven, you're just going, you're just doing it as you do, you know, you don't really give it any wider thoughts. When did that sense of identity emerge when you started to realise that this, this instrument and this focus on traditional music was defining you as, a, as an individual? I suppose I, in my later teens, I started going to, my mum started taking me to kind of pub sessions and stuff. And you kind of see all these old boys playing away and stuff and they've been doing it for years and it's uh, how much it means to them you know and in the community and stuff and it's a big part of the social scene and and also it's a big draw to tourism as well and stuff and people love to come over and hear that and stuff and you see these people like usually quite a lot of Americans and people are Germans and stuff in the pub and they're all totally like amazed by what what's happening here you know yeah but to everyone who's there it's just it's just kind of a way of life and it's just like just what they've always done and it's and it's basically that's yeah that's not a thing to be taken for granted I guess that mm-hmm. kind of sense of having that kind of strong identity and um, yeah and I guess I, I had a good a good chitter when I was about thirteen fourteen started going to a local fiddle player for lessons called Johnny Murphy who is still in Balmina now and he teaches and makes fiddles and as you can see that one the wall behind me actually is one he made me yeah. for my for my twenty first my twenty first birthday indeed it was actually made from a from a sycamore tree in my backyard back home as well. So he, he took so the how wood. Did, how does someone make a fiddle? It's with a, a fair amount of hard work. Johnny yeah. himself, actually, his uncle taught him the, his, his third one he ever made. So that's wow. going to be, wor- be worth millions. <laughs> or absolutely priceless, you know. Yeah, you can also see it's, it's varnished, but it's not stained. You know, fiddles are his right. trademark thing of leaving them, leaving them kind of light color, which is mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I started going to Johnny. I was about fourteen at that time. I was floating between. I was studying a bit of traditional stuff, but I was, and I was getting classical lessons at school. But I wasn't really into the classical scene, and I didn't really like the orchestral music and everything. I could I could do it fine at the time. It just wasn't grabbing me, and I didn't really know where I was going with it. And then my mum started taking, taking me to Johnny, who mm-hmm. is only nine, nine years older than me, which isn't a ma- isn't a massive gap, you know. So when I met him, he was sort of mid mid twenties, and was very charismatic and all about the music and stuff. You need someone like that to kind of give you a bit of oomph at times, and and it kind of made me fall in love with it more as well. Basically, I got went more into the music, and then it started taking me. I started getting involved in the Irish dance music scene as well, mm-hmm. where I go along and play music for all the girls to dance to for days on end. You know, so for people that don't know the Irish dance scene, could you maybe describe Irish dancing then? Put that in context. Cool. Yeah. So Irish dancing involves a lot of arms by your side and there's a mixture of different different styles with you either use heavy shoes where you have all the noise and stuff which you see a lot of in river dance which I'm sure most people have seen but yeah that actually put that put Irish dancing on the international stage and that's caused a resurgence in interest in that and that's still ongoing now and there's loads of spin-offs of, the Irish, of those Irish dance shows and stuff or and Irish music and the Irish dance as well and it creates a lot of business which is great and um, but yeah so on the smaller level there's lots of dance schools around the country and then they have competitions and they, they have live music for the competitions. And there I would I was taken along by Johnny to do these competitions. Quite, so I was quite young doing that. And I would just play along in the background. But then a few years later on, I was doing it myself and getting paid for it as well. So which is quite a big boost when you're 16 to actually make some money doing something as well. And um, and then you kind of realize then that maybe it's a, an actual viable source of, of work as well. Not that being a musician is totally money-driven, but it's nice to feel mm-hmm. that it is actually, you could get paid to do something, you know? Whereas other people at school were doing part-time jobs at McDonald's and stuff and making a lot less money for a lot longer hours than mm-hmm. I was getting for a few hours playing the fiddle somewhere, you know? Which I, would, which I enjoyed doing anyway and would be doing regardless of being at the dance festivals or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really good, great to get into that into that, that world. And like all music things, it's a big social scene and the, the dance world's a big social scene as well. Back and forth a lot still to play for the competitions and stuff, but right now the lack of travel is annoying. But And also, well, also there's no competitions going on, all events are off as well, so yeah. everyone's on a bit of a hiatus. But it's nice and it shows a clear connection between the music and the dancing because that's essentially what it's all about as well. And what music I play is Irish dance music. You've got your jigs, your reels, your hornpipes, it's all based around people dancing to it in different scenarios.
Okay, so before we get into the, the, the further definition of um, Irish music and traditional music, we always try and explore a little bit about the environment or the, sort of the, the feeling of when you were growing up around, did you have a sense of scarcity or an abundance? And when you talk about going to bars and pubs and playing, it sounds like at a young age you were building a really interesting network, quite an abundant network of people that are in, this, in the area that you were focused on. So it sounded like quite a, well, I would say an abundant life growing up in the thing that you loved. Yes, it's, um, yeah, traditional music is very much, it's, it's, a social, like, it's a social thing, you know, people and having music in common and stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't know the in-depth of other musical genres, but I only know what I know with this one, but I feel like there's a lot more crack and hanging out and having a good time and meeting people in this than would be inside classical music, for example, mm. where it's all very performance-based. But yeah, so I was... An abundance of people to meet and yeah, and to go into pubs and stuff is great because you meet other people and gives it gives a bit of context. All the rest of it, I feel like I could have done more actually when I was younger in that age of meeting and being in more organisations. There's a massive musical organisation called the Cultus in Ireland and actually it's worldwide and they do lots of classes and involve lots of kids and stuff. And mm-hmm. I I wasn't involved in that when I was younger. Um, but I wasn't overly interested in joining that sort of thing, but. I feel like I probably should. That would have been good. Mm-hmm. Look, looking back on it now, but I was busy doing lots of other things. But even without that, I was still about doing lots of musical things, which then changed when I went to university. But I didn't have that many people around me my own age who played. I've got great friends, who I'm still friends with now, but they're all. No, but they're not through music; they're just through school and other things, you know. So, um, which is it's also good to have the difference. So, but um, yeah, so I suppose my musical circle when I was younger was all the older older guys. Old, mm-hmm. um, at in these pubs and stuff which is also good because you can learn from them and you get their stories and their secondhand cigarette smoke and stuff but um which was back in the day before cigarette band of yeah, pubs, yeah. So say, yeah it's um which is always a funny thing to think about because that wasn't that long ago but seeing someone smoking doors now is totally totally mind-blowing you know even if it's their own house so you you attended university in newcastle where you went to study music a bit of music and folk and traditional music was that by your mentor Johnny or was it your parents or you just said right this is definitely where my career is going it was mostly my my mother waited on this one I was uh, at the end of my come towards the end of my school time and um really didn't really know what to do I was I was good at English and stuff like that at school but anyway mm. my mum found this course and was like oh I should do this and there's a similar one in Limerick which I also had an offer from and then in Glasgow, there's a one. Uh, there's a course at the RCS here as well. But um, yeah, it was mum's. It was my mother's idea to go for that. I wasn't quite sure about it before I went, sort of thing, or before I auditioned for it. But mum said it was like, if you get in, then and you don't like it, then you can always change course once you're inside university and stuff. That's easier. It's the initial through the doors thing, sort of thing, you know. So yeah, then I auditioned and got an offer, which is great, and got my got my marks, and then set off to. Packed my bags, went off to Newcastle, all the way to Newcastle. But once I got there, I basically got stuck in and I sort of fell in love, fell in love with it um, mm-hmm. all over again and in more in depth as well. I suppose it, it was a four-year course um, for um, the first two years. You just had to pass and then the second, the third and fourth years actually counted, which is my first two year bit of a, a mess around, getting that out of my mm-hmm. system. I see people mm-hmm. do university, too much drinking, not enough studying, etc., yeah, then I really got I could have, it must be it must have been a bit of a shock to the system to go from the north of Ireland to Newcastle in the north of England where it's not really I wouldn't have thought pubs that were you be able to play in uh, yes I mean with the north of England has it its own quite renowned folk, type of folk music but it's, it's different but it is known yeah. for that but then with the degree being there it's a melting pot of people who come over and then people stay on and stuff so it, it develops its own scene just because of the degrees there Mm-hmm. And various people would graduate and stay on and everything, so that does give a bit of something. But um, but yeah, it's much more of a mix, whereas because it's, it's more of an international affair, you know. But, so when uh, they talk about traditional music, it wasn't just Irish traditional music. Presumably it's traditional music from all genres, all countries. It was a mixture of Irish, Scottish, English, and I'm sure pretty sure I had, I had one lecture on Welsh music, which didn't, didn't really stick. But um, yeah, so it was a bit more of a mix. That was part of the draw. Um, I suppose at the time it was more it would be more of just all Irish sort of thing, uh, which is also good. But uh, also part of the draw going to Newcastle was my brother was in Durham at the time, which is quite nearby, which is nice to have that family connection, mm-hmm. um, even though you're so far from home yeah. and all the rest of it. And yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's a good scene there. And I mean, it wasn't what was nice, which I didn't really have before with my 
childhood was um, having people my own age who had the same interests and everything as well. And that gives a whole new context of having people who are up for the party, but also really into the music. And those things kind of go hand in hand. Getting having good tutors and stuff. It, I just get more like most things. The more you do it, the more you want to do it, sort of thing as well. Mm. So, give an example of the the range of people that were there that you 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 started to study with and and play with. What other types of traditional music and and instruments were they playing? Um, there was in my year. There's about the course is a massive. So but there's eighteen in my year that starts, and um, quite a lot of Scottish people um, had came down. And is uh, Scott Duncan's brother. So Scott Duncan ah. from before. Yeah, his brother. So I met him there. That's Ewan. And he plays the pipes, bagpipes, Highland pipes, and the fl- flute and whistle and stuff. He's very good at all things. And um, yes, and quite a, quite a few English people playing the accordion and they're singing as well and stuff. And um, there's a, a Portuguese guy as well called Miguel, who was really good on the pipes. And bagpipes? No, the alien, the alien pipes, I think actually, so mm. Irish pipes. And... Mm. Um, so it's funny, yeah. I mean, the whole Irish music thing goes all over, and people turn off have the international thing because due to the Irish history and people going all over and stuff, the music turns up everywhere as well. So you can mm-hmm. basically go to any any country, city in the world, and find a session, which is also quite comforting as well. I feel like it's a local tradition thing, but it's also a worldwide international affair. Yeah. So was, and the course, yeah. So it was a mixture of that, and um, so it was good. And then you could be for a different course for different modules. We had to play together and create bands and everything so you have to work with the people and try and find put material together and everything and like I say I didn't like all the material we did as you mm-hmm. never would but but then it does give you a taste of these things and it gives you an opportunity, opportunity to decide what you do and don't like as well which is nice to step outside your own comfort zone and mm-hmm. you know and like do, look at English folk stuff for example I didn't think it was my cup of tea and I was correct but at least I, <laughs> at least I was uh, I can now say with, uh, with mm. some confidence that I don't really like that's, that area of folk is not really for me sort of thing you know but mm. but that's not necessarily a bad thing for other people but um, yeah there'd be more there'd be more more overlap between the Irish and Scottish traditional music yeah. with okay. obviously the historical roots and all the rest of it so for the uninformed like me when I heard you were a fiddle player I just got fiddle violin viola what, what are the differences in simple uh, terms. In simple terms. Uh, so the violin and the fiddle are the same thing. Mm-hmm. O- often people say, oh, is a fiddle, is that like a violin, but it's smaller? But it's not. It's just the same thing. Um, it's just, it's a slang term. And also basically it just def- defines what, what type of music you play with it. So you call it a fiddle if you play traditional folk. Yeah. All, that, all that kind of stuff. And basically if you play classical, then you call it the violin. But um, essentially it is the same Right, same instrument. And then the viola is a bigger version of a violin, which has a, a lower string and uh, not the top string. Yeah, the fiddle, the violin, all the same thing. It just depends what you're banging out on, essentially. You mentioned you were drawn in your early teens to being playing a guitar and potentially into that sort of that phase of your rites of passage and wanting to be a rock star. A lot of a lot of people will be drawn into things like rock or at uh, that young age. What was it that drew you back? To fiddle apart from just being good at it was there were there any bands or was it just the music itself that that drew you in um yeah i guess i mean being good at it does definitely help and um be able to do something and uh there's there's so much good traditional music that you can listen to as well and i suppose as getting to that age we sort of seek things out and everything and i suppose it's, it's, it's easier to because i was already better at the fiddle it's easier to emulate the good things you hear on the fiddle because I, I can already play it you know and you, mm-hmm. you, it's easier to pick a piece of music and be able to crack that out no bother sort of thing mm-hmm. and then um, yeah there's a lot of great recordings that i would listen to which basically yeah i suppose would inspire me to want to play like that sort of thing who and, were your influences i mean i've heard of bands in scotland like capra cayley and the likes and clenad and all that that seem to be fairly traditional but uh were there any sort of defining yeah, so, I suppose um big fan of a great fiddle player called Martin Hayes from County Clare, who's world-renowned, and he was, yeah, I, I don't play at all like him, but I love his fiddle playing sort of thing, mm-hmm. and people like Frankie Gavin and Liz Doherty, a great Donegal fiddle player who I had a workshop once with. What was her name? Uh, Liz Doherty. Yeah, I met her when I was quite young, actually, which I think spurred me, spurred me on slightly because she was warm and welcoming and all the rest of it, and like anything, it's nice to be encouraged to do something by somebody who seems to be, mm-hmm. you know, lively themselves and stuff and loves the music. And then, 
yeah, she then went, went to university and everything. You you basically pick up other people's band choices and stuff. And mm-hmm. then it spreads totally a lot more. I was very much into, and still am into, into other genres and everything. But it's, it doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't define what you do. Actually, the, the mm-hmm. last the last gig that I was at before lockdown, I think, was actually um, the Sum 41, if you know them. Mm-hmm. They're a punk rock band oh. that, that they're actually the first album I ever bought when I was about nine. And um, I was over, my brother lives in Amsterdam. And um, I went over there to see them play there, sort of thing. And they were like, they, that was like the band of our of our youth, like our total early uh-huh. youth, sort of thing, you know. And we'd never seen them live, and that was a, a wild gig. And also, didn't realize at the time it was going to be the, the last thing for who knows how long now as well. But it's been definitely some fiddle players. It's always hard to define when it comes to music, because I mean, playing the fiddle, and I've heard so many fiddle players over the years. Some players just totally touch you and move you in a way which is hard to put your finger on. And it doesn't base itself around um, mm. technical ability. I've heard some fiddle players who are technically amazing, but it leaves me cold, basically. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, it's, I mean, that's impressive, but I don't feel any, I don't get anything from it sort of thing. And then other people, it's just like that totally touches your soul or your or your heart, you know. So so why do you think there's been a resurgence in interest in traditional music? I think it's there's always been an interest there. Um I think there's always been a scene. It's just a case of people, people of knowing about it, sort of thing, as well. When people mm-hmm. get involved, and I've seen this happen from my side when I've got some pupils who are my age or older who take up the fiddle, and then I introduce them to bands and events and gigs and stuff, and they start going mm-hmm. to these things. And there's a whole new kind of social, live music world that was going on like under their nose without them even knowing, sort of thing. That definitely helps because it it's um. It makes it seem more official as well, like it's an actual subject you can go on and study. It makes it seem like it's definitely a, a path you can be, you can make a career out of, as opposed to it just being some old boys in the pub smashing out a few tunes on the weekends. You know, it puts mm-hmm. it different, which is obviously totally part of it. But there's there's more to it than that. The music's cool if people listen to it as well. Basically, that sounds really naff to say, mm-hmm. but it's it's a, it's a cool thing to be involved with, mm-hmm. you know. And like in anything, I guess if a certain people start doing it, then people want to be like them, and that carries on as well. Mm-hmm. So you've developed a reputation as a player, a composer, a teacher, and you've appeared in a movie, you've toured Europe, you've played the festivals, you've now got Building This Life in Glasgow. But how have you managed to cope in the last year with the pandemic and the impact it's had on you and and other musicians? Because, I mean, it's the, the life and the way that you thrive off the music is presumably in live experiences, and that's been taken away from you. So how's it been? Yeah, it's been uh, essentially pretty terrible for everyone in this boat, all those performance things. Um, yeah, just the drop of live gigs. I obviously do a lot of gigs and even a lot of like weddings and events and that sort of things, which um, are good earners and stuff. They're all being pushed back and mm-hmm. um, or just totally cancelled and stuff. It's been a massive, a massive change, and I. I can't feel too bad for myself because everyone's in the same boat at the same time. So woe is me is kind of a thing you have to get over because it's not like everyone else is getting the work and you're not sort of thing, but as everyone's just waiting. But yeah, no, it's, been, it's been terrible for everybody. And I suppose, that, yeah, I mean, I do teaching as well. So I just moved that onto, onto Zoom or other online and platforms, which... Um, and that's working. It's okay. Yeah, it's grand. I mean, it's not it's not ideal. And um, But I have pushed further afield to my advertising. So I've now got people a bit further afield. So I've got a girl in Spain who I teach, which is good, which I wouldn't have had otherwise if I wasn't kind of pushing further afield because some people don't like getting taught online. So therefore, they mm-hmm. may live in Glasgow but don't want to come around but don't want to get lessons for now. So that's the same, this whole 2D thing, etc. And... Um, but most people are online for now, but we'll come back in if they live nearby whenever it is safe to do so. So when you say you, you expanded your advertising, where do you advertise? Um, well, Gum, I don't know if you have, do you have Gumtree in America? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so I know what it is, yeah. You wouldn't think that's a good one for um, advertising lessons, but I think it's just because it's quite a big site in itself. So therefore, if people mm-hmm. Google things, it'll come up the top. Then I have my own website and various other kind of music teacher pages and stuff. And yeah, there's an American page I'm on now and stuff, which is basically you just want things that are high up on Google, essentially, that people can people Google yeah. fiddle lessons, you're like a top pick sort of thing. I mean, we've all seen these multiple screens of musicians and singers jamming together on zoom mm-hmm. have you done any live performances with yourself or other musicians well those things you see aren't actually live just to blow the the blow the bubble there first bubble there because yeah. uh, yeah. you know the whole see lag time stuff aid running um a zoom session actually so it's um trying to emulate what it's like to go to the pub and have a tune sort of thing but it's a pale comparison but it's good in its mm-hmm. own way but um in which case i send out music and everyone kind of practices it and then on wednesday night 
um, everyone comes on together and we kind of play through the tunes and everything together. I muted except myself because idea in an ideal world, internet was fast enough we'd all play together in our separate houses and work mm. countries, but and we could all hear each other and that'd be nice. But um, for now, everyone just plays and hears me sort of thing. But you get the nice sense of community because you can mm. see everyone on screen and you can have a bit of chat before and after and all the rest of it and it's nice of that. And obviously right now people are just keen to do anything as well to have some sort of musical input or output and um, and also learn some new material and stuff like that. So that's going quite well. I've got a guy in Montana now on the on the Zoom session actually, which wow. is quite cool. So um, he was showing us out his window last night so we could see it looks very, he's got a bright red barn and stuff. It's like what you imagine Montana to be like, <laughs> mountains and red barns. And he was talking about the snow and that. But um, yeah, I've, I've kind of avoided playing too many streaming things. Um, actually, despite the pandemic, I actually managed to bring out my latest album during it. And, or record it anyway. I started recording this album last March and then had to take a big hiatus. The studio opened, the studio opened again in August. So I got the guys in to do it again there and then released it in December there. So it's everywhere. And it's on Spotify. Yeah, Spotify, uh, iTunes. It's called Escaping the Dawn. And uh, it's, uh, it's uh, a great album, if I say so myself. And, yes, I, um, I had a listen to it the other day. Oh, good. Any particular favourite tracks? Um, yeah, it was the second track on uh, I Liked. Papa, so it was Papa's Jigs? Yeah, that's it. Papa's Jig, number one. Papa's Jig, number one. Yeah. Yes, great. Yeah, so that was, I wrote those two first tunes for my yeah. dad's uh, birthday a couple of years ago. Yeah. And um, that was his... Um, 70th I believe and then mm. the the last tune on that is called Jess the Wise which is for uh. my dog back home Cocker Spaniel the family dog uh. Jess so um, she's a wee darling and uh, she's a wee darling and uh, usually I see her quite a lot but I haven't mm. seen her in quite a while now but um, mm. she's a uh, 12 or something now. Quite old, quite old mm. but you wouldn't think it. You know, it's fine. I don't know if you have any experience with Spaniels, but they're all very bouncy and that, you know. Ah, very good. Two, uh, two Cocker Spaniels. Ah, yeah. you, you, you know the crack then. You know what they're like. Both beautiful animals yeah. and uh, so she has earned herself a good chin, good chin name. But, um, but yeah, so it was good to, but despite all this problems, I still managed to get the album out and then, then you take it on the road a bit, you know, to promote, promote mm. it and stuff. So uh-huh. I'm still planning to do that in the summer, hopefully do a few gigs over here and also back home in Ireland as well mm. and maybe further afield, but just waiting to get the nod on venues to be like, yes, we can actually take you now, you know. Uh-huh. So I've got a few things penciled in. And then um, I also managed to release a book this year as well, which is good, mm. called Contemporary Fiddle Tunes from the Northeast of Ireland, which is published by Mel Bay, which is an American publisher now. We'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> good, good, yeah. Everyone get yeah. their copies. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was great. So that's, I thought that was actually a project which took about two years to complete. It was um, mm. the Northeast of Ireland, which is where I'm from, is not an area that's overly famous for the traditional music. When, when people think of Ireland, they think of Donegal and Sligo mm. and Clare and those sort of places which are kind of famous for the for the traditional music but there is obviously players everywhere it's just one of those mm-hmm. things recording to get picked up and stuff the big thing was with Sligo playing was with Michael Coleman who's a famous fiddle player he went over to New York I think and, and was one of the first people to record in the 20s and his style of music was the first thing anyone really heard and then because that's kind of the first thing people deem that to be like that's what Irish traditional music is but there's also a massive breadth inside that you know so anyway I thought it'd be good to do a book to highlight the local players well give us highlight some local players and some self pen tunes by those people as well so um so the book is by no means extensive it's not there's obviously thousands of tunes written by people from the area over the how many years but it's just a kind of snapshot of some people who are both nearly everyone who's in the book is still still alive today or just recently deceased so it's, it's quite a, a modern take on people's tunes i'm intrigued because the word traditional it takes you back to the heritage of a nation and mm. its core, the core of its culture. But you're creating music today, and presumably people that are making traditional music today, contemporary traditional music. How different is it? Is how is it evolving with the times? Well, I suppose the thing which makes it traditional still, even though if you're doing it right now, are these contemporary tunes. It's inside the structures, so you're still writing tunes. The, the music is based around your Irish dance music, so your jigs, your reels, your, your hornpipes, mm. things like that, which are all to do with, have certain structures, basically, which I'll not go into, but, um, and therefore, but then if you write tunes inside those structures, they follow those patterns, and even though they're modern, they're still laid out in a traditional way, shall we say. Yeah. So that what makes them, that's how I would say, so it makes the traditional music. But, um, but yes, but these days, everyone's always vying. Well, I'm sure it's always gone on, but then it's just continued, but people are always vying to do new, new and innovative things with something mm. which has been done before, you know. And so you do have 
bands once again it's not really a new thing but with having kind of different instrumentations so it would involve like, like more rock band setups and stuff as mm-hmm. well with um, guitars and drum kits and basses and all that kind of stuff and there's very amounts of, of things which use jazz influences as well you get like big mm-hmm. brass sax sections and stuff as well and um, I would, yeah, there's quite a lot of things I would say my experience now being over here in Glasgow there's um, there's a fair amount of electronic fusion stuff as well now more so over here than back home and, and I suppose for me it's how far do you take the music away from the traditionalness before it's it's not related to anything at all really you know mm-hmm. not not and that's not even it's not necessarily a bad thing it just, it just it just becomes its own thing I guess you know and um, for my own album and stuff you can obviously it's, it's arranged different parts and it kind of goes a bit weird at times and stuff but you can always pick out where the tune is that's that's mm-hmm. a real that's a jig that's a hornpipe that's a polka that sort of thing which is kind of and therefore you could I like to think that those tunes could be played at a session somewhere along the line as well they could be easily learned mm-hmm. by somebody and taken that's kind of what you want as well you want people to play your music and stuff I feel like if with bands and stuff if they kind of arrange and rearrange their music too much it kind of gets the traditionalness the essence of it kind of gets lost within that you know mm-hmm. and um, so when you talk about the structures inside it that, are, that, that define the, the the genre of traditional mm-hmm. are those structures the same for Scottish traditional music English Welsh and Ye- yes if you're if you're doing a if you're playing if you're playing a jig or a reel or any kind of dance tune, the structures are the same. You'll have the same time signature and the same number of bars and the same sort of mm-hmm. rhythmic pattern. And yeah, that's ultimately much the same. With the, I'm not sure what's going on in Wales right now, but um, but yeah, and by and large, definitely between Scottish, Scotland, Ireland, that things are all kind of the same. In England and stuff, you, there's different sort of tune types as well that we don't. I wouldn't really wouldn't really do. They have things called rants and stuff like that, which I'm not quite sure what those are about. But yeah, but essentially, it's all the same structure all over inside mm-hmm. the kind of Celtic thing. I don't really understand. I've got no knowledge of the, the sort of the going all the way back where the evolution of traditional music came from versus classical. Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, they are, they are totally different things. The fact that the fiddle violin is used in both, I guess, mm-hmm. it's just people people will just play what they know. So, um, so whenever the first person got a fiddle in Ireland and a violin in Ireland, they play what they knew, which are these tunes that they would deal out, sort mm-hmm. of thing. There was a big thing. There's a big thing with um, in Irish music as well about of, of lilting things. So you don't even need an instrument to do the tunes. You just go Obviously, a bit better than that, but that's our idea. You know, you kind of emulate the instrument just with your mouth. You know, and yeah. So I guess it's just a case of they don't really come together. I'm guessing people would use the violin a lot earlier in different places I'm not sure when the first fiddle came to yeah. came to Ireland you know but then it was adopted and then made into its own thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's interesting um, looking forward I mean you mentioned technology how do you see traditional music evolving I mean we're, we're, every every industry every category every career is going to be impacted by artificial intelligence and technology over the next 10-20 years do you see any evidence um, or have any sense of the impact something like that will have on the creation of music? In this pandemic, I can still do some work with teaching online and stuff. The fact that that's even a possibility is great. Um, and, um, I mean, obviously the quality of recordings is getting better as well, like studio albums and stuff, and even the case of there's so many people now doing like home studio setups and everything, which has been handy in this situation because people do more stuff from home. Mm-hmm. I'm not overly technology gifted, so I don't have too much of that stuff. I prefer just to pay someone else to record me when the time comes, and then mm-hmm. not to worry about the rest of the time, you know. But um, but yes, I mean, I'm not sure about the artificial intelligence aspect of it. When I was thinking about music, music is very is a very human thing, I guess. So I'm not sure how artificial intelligence would play a role in that any any sense, really, you know. But um, but then I suppose when I mean I've. Myself and my partner, we we develop websites, and we've had so many conversations that you know, there's you'll get to a point where you can create artificial intelligence that will code sites. I mean, already mm-hmm. there's a technology called GPT three, and it might be four now, that you can input into GPT three a piece of text, and it will generate a blog post for you based on what you've written about, and you wouldn't know that it wasn't written by a human. Mm-hmm. So presumably, it's not beyond the bounds of possibility to be able to sample a piece of traditional music and the AI will be able to generate different creations. Yeah, so that, I think that's... 
because I think I totally agree with you. you. You know, you never. I don't think we can ever sort of replicate the the, the pure creativity and imagination of humans. Certainly, not, I don't think in the next ten, twenty years. But I'm just, uh, I was interested to see if you could see any evidence. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose it's interesting the fact you said that about the the coding. It will kind of write it for you once you start, sort of thing. Because, like we said, there's very clear structures inside traditional music of which tunes are based, and therefore, if you put that into computer, it could probably crack out like a million reels that are different. Like that would that are probably good, etc. You know, following those structures, sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean that's it's all. Yeah. I suppose that physically that could be a thing. Um, but what you wouldn't be able to replicate is getting around a, a fire in a pub with indeed, other human indeed, beings. Indeed. <laughs> and uh, and also basically also the music that you write and this sort of thing. People like a bit of a story behind why it was written and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know. If you're just like, oh yeah, the computer cracked it out there and it's in a millisecond, it's not quite the same story to talk yeah. about, you know. It's <laughs> you know, lose a bit of something. And um, yeah. No, it's really it's, it's one of those things that's, yeah, I think a lot with, about technology these days in a general sense of how far does do things have to get technology being you'd think is there to make life better and easier and all the rest of it how far do, do these things go before it becomes it's kind of soulless or detrimental to actually being a person as well you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's um, even the yeah it's um, and it's also very clear, but everyone doing these like online events right now, like Zoom quizzes and stuff, you know, it's just uh-huh. actually, it's not a substitution for actually meeting someone in real life and actually going out and actually having a life, you know. I mean, it's mm-hmm. obviously good that you can do it in the meantime, you know, and then all that kind of stuff. And and obviously, it's, it's uh, and obviously the whole social media thing is, is good to an extent, but also detrimental in so many ways as well. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a case of how far do you take these things and, we feel like development is never going to stop, though, in any sense, and because it's always people striving for these things. But it's um, I started, I started to sound like I'm really old, but you know, back in my day, it was all uh, you kind of feel like you spent, yeah, things are more personal, and you kind of get you just gain more from life and actually dealing with people and stuff. And I feel like during this, it's been a lot more. It's also been being in these being in this time as well, and you can't travel and see family and all the rest of it. It flies up a lot more, and yeah. and you take these things for granted and all the rest of it. But um. It's um, and also during this time, technology people appreciate that they should really get out and have a life, etc. Whenever they can, you know. And um, you know, all you kind of look back on all those times that you thought, oh, I could could go out tonight, but I might just stay in and watch something. Yeah. And then, and then you realize that all you do now is stay in and watch something, and you should have taken all those opportunities to go and get pints, like you know. But um, yeah, but at least times will pass. Yeah. Um, before getting to quick fire questions, where has serendipity played a part in your journey into music? Is there anything, any moment or experience or connection that you go, that was... I would just say just the bit at the very, very start, the fact that it was a good fortune I took up an instrument that I liked from the get-go and that's led on to essentially an entire life as well, you know, and it's taken me places and I've met people and stuff. And there's been times, I remember a few years ago, I was due to the... Um, my connection with the Irish dance world. I was away in, I was in Spain doing this small festival. So it was a group of the girls were dancing and I was asked to put together a small band for it. So I took two friends from university who are in a band called um, Elephant Sessions, in case they want to be shout out. And, How do you um, spell that? Um, Elephant Sessions. Oh. And they're, okay. they're doing, they're doing very, very well themselves right now. And uh, so I took two of those guys with me and we were sat... It's just like we're sat at like two in the morning in this idyllic Spanish square somewhere, just having beers after the after the show, and it was just off, you know what's like over there. The weather just it never gets cold, so you can sit outside all night, sort of thing. And it and it's Spain, so everyone's really nice, etc. And the beer's great, etc. And um, I was just I was just having a really nice time, and I with my friends and all the rest of it. And I was just like, I can only hear having the experience because I can make this bit of wood make an okay noise some of the time. Essentially, you know that's what it comes out to. You know, it's um. And it's, it's just—it's it's always nice to have a moment of reflection where you realise that these the steps you've taken have led you to a place which is which is nice. It's mm-hmm. nice to take a moment mm-hmm. to to stock take really, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so I guess yeah, just the good fortune of having something. And I mean, all musical—I mean, all musical fields are saturated. But I, but then I certainly feel like it's like getting into the fiddle young is probably better than getting in getting into the electric guitar young, you know, really, because mm-hmm. that's so many more people want to be that kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. um, 
yeah, it's hard to make. Yeah, for example, like you can make money in traditional music at a certain level, and then obviously it, it grows as well. But if you, you don't make any money in rock music or those sort of fields until you're, until you're absolutely famous, famous, you know what I mean? As well, yeah. mm-hmm. just playing backdoor clubs and no one's going to pay for any sort of thing, you know, until you get mm-hmm. to be, you know, the chili peppers or whatever, like, you know. So it's a, there's a way bigger gap there. So, whereas in traditional music, I, mm-hmm. I find quite young age, I could. You can make money in the middle area as well, you know, which is which is good. As I kind of said, it, it does seem like it could be a, a livelihood as well, as well as being something that you love to do. Okay. Well, quick for our questions. What principles do you stand by? Um, do what makes you happy, as at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. Okay. What are the hard choices you had to make that might have been tough, but turned out to be the right decision? I think the decision to move to Glasgow, actually, after university was a was a tough one I was considering moving back to Ireland doing something like there and at that stage didn't really have any draws anywhere in particular so it's just making a big leap and hoping that it's I mean you could always go somewhere and not like it and then move move away again it's grand but it was quite big that was quite a big decision and it's paid off because the city's great and it's nice to build a mm. build a life for myself as well all the while being not too far from home as well which is mm. handy outside of Covid where'd you go to discover new ideas um, I would say, just being out and about in the general world, I find ideas do not come when I'm sat staring at a blank page or the computer screen or just staring at my fiddle sort of thing. When it comes to composing and stuff, I, I definitely yeah. write a lot more when I've been out and about doing literally anything. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. things come to you. Basically, and also that kind of stuff, you can't really force it as well. You just have to let things come. But I feel like just being out and hearing people and meeting people and experiencing life just creates mm-hmm. things to flow. Okay. What's one problem worth solving? Pollution. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Climate, yeah. You've got an opportunity, people from history, around to dinner, to help you plan for a better future. Who would those four people be? Some generic generic answers for me, but uh, I've went, I've got, how about Martin Luther King, Steve Jobs, Charles Darwin and Prince? Oh, right. Well, I reckon you would be doing a little performance with Prince at the end of the night. Indeed, indeed. He's a, he was a yeah. wild one, so plus he's a, he just might go into the bracket of, uh, in, of, of history there. So Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a good one. <laughs> okay, um, is there a question that no one asks you that you wish they would? This is more of a lighthearted one. What is my skincare routine? <laughs> Nobody ever asked me how, how, I look, uh, yeah. how I look like this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, um... What what or who has made you reevaluate yourself? There's that moment when you try and pet a dog and it doesn't come to you. I guess, uh-huh. you know, I'm always kind of, always kind of a few seconds after that, I always wonder like what was wrong with me, and I have to take a bit mm. of self, a bit of soul search in there. So whenever, whenever that happens, I think I always have to slightly reevaluate. Huh? Never <laughs> had that one before. Okay. Impossible question. So, as someone that you meet that's about to graduate, so study that's maybe got a a musical or other dream ambition goal but it's been told uh, forget it it's impossible um, I suppose it's a bit of a cliche but you know nothing is impossible and people are only people so if someone else can do it you can do it as well mm. and if no one else has done it then you can be the first nice okay come out of lockdown now I know you'll be straight in a, probably in some nice bar playing the fiddle with uh, probably a band but if you had to go to a karaoke, what would you be singing? Um, probably Wonderwall by Oasis. It's always a classic. Ah. And, and a crowd pleaser, you know. So Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'd, be, I'd be alongside. <laughs> Good job, great taste. A recent film, series, documentary that you've seen during lockdown that you would recommend someone watch? Uh, I recently got a free subscription to Disney Plus and watched um, Soul. Have you seen Soul? No. It's an no. a animated Disney film. Uh, I, I recently but it's by a jazz musician in New York based around that anyway and that kind of thing but it's, it's Jamie Foxx doing the voice for it and um, ah. yeah I mean I, I'm a big fan of the kind of animated stuff anyway because yeah. they're always like beautifully made and stuff and uh, it's, 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 very, it's very well done and very touching as well and, fun, and kind of witty and stuff so I recommend that one anyway if you haven't seen it put, put that on the list okay um, we like to offer listeners to come up with good comments on the website or the comment section in Instagram um a book what would you recommend um, An Equal Music by Vikram Seth okay a good read and music based as well so that's okay. ties into everything okay final question who should we interview next um, I've got a few people in the pipeline I'll, I don't want to give any names yet in case they don't pan out but I, but I did um, 
do a six month tour in a traveling circus. So I think. Whoa. So I think a person maybe maybe linked to that might come through for me. Okay, that would be very interesting. <laughs> right. Well, before before you go, could you give us a little um, sample of something from your latest album? Oh, sure, why not? Well, she should have a fiddle lying right here somewhere. Here's one. I, here's, here's one I prepared earlier. Yeah. I find my composing and stuff is quite influenced by titles that are named after uh-huh. animals and stuff. So this is a tune called "The Linnet." This is a small mm-hmm. sort of red-chested bird that occasionally we see back home. So it's a okay. jig called "The Linnet," which features on the latest album, "Escape in the Dawn." Okay. Very cool. Thank you very much. Uh, okay, well, that was wonderful. And um, they just if someone wants to get and listen to Escaping the Dawn, they just go to Spotify? Yep, Spotify, Bandcamp, iTunes, all the usual platforms. It's everywhere. Uh-huh. Easily find. Or or on your website. Ru- yep, ruinlesley.co.uk. It can be found there as well, along with the book, uh, uh-huh. Contemporary Fiddle Tunes from the Northeast of Ireland. Okay, and if people want to follow you on Instagram, where did they find uh, you? Ruin Leslie Music on Instagram and Ruin Leslie Fiddle on Facebook. Okay, well, that's great. Well, Ron, I just want to thank you for your time. I really appreciate it and acknowledge you just for your creativity and uh, clearly curious mind and uh, with, a, I suspect, a very interesting future of creation ahead of you in traditional music. And I, I'm sure a lot of people will uh, be inspired to listen to what you've done and uh, follow follow you in the future so thank you very much I really appreciate it thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure okay take care thanks bye bye okay that's all for this week folks if you're enjoying the show please subscribe rate recommend or review depending on where you listen and if you have someone you'd like us to interview just DM us on Instagram at The Impossible Network or email us at info at theimpossiblenetwork.com and please give our other podcast The Raw Hospitality Show a listen They are both Fabrica Collective Productions. See you next time.